Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program and thank you for joining us today. We would like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. Visit the Clorox Healthcare website, www.cloroxhealthcare.com, to learn more about keeping environments safer with Clorox Healthcare. Today, we are joined by several staff members of Series Therapeutics, which just announced the results of their Phase 3 trial Ecospore 3, which evaluated the efficacy and safety of SCR 109 for the treatment of patients with multiple recurrent C. difficile infections, also known as C. diff and CDI. We are pleased to have with us today Dr. Barbara McGovern, Vice President of, of Medical Affairs. Dr. Elaine Wang is Senior Clinical Director. Dr. John Om- Omens, Onens, Executive Vice President of Bioprocess and Manufacturing, Jennifer Wortman, Vice President, Clinical Discovery and Research Technologies, and Kelly Brady, Vice President of Clinical Operations. At this time, we are going to welcome Dr. Barbara McGovern to the program, who is going to give us a bit of a background on series therapeutics and the drug development platform. Welcome to the program, Dr. McGovern. Nancy, thank you so much for inviting Ceres uh, to uh, speak on your program. We really appreciate this opportunity. Uh, Ceres has been pioneering the development of microbiome therapeutics in ent- an entirely new field of medicine since the inception of the company almost 10 years ago. We prioritized C. diff infection as one of the first diseases we wanted to, to explore due to the tremendous unmet need. Furthermore, we focused our trial on patients with multiply recurrent disease for whom there are very limited treatment options, as you know. This debilitating and too often deadly disease is one of the most urgent bacterial infectious diseases in the United States and around the world. C. diff has a devastating impact on the lives of patients as many become homebound and afraid to be around friends and loved ones leading to a loss of productivity and social isolation. Exactly. Thank you so much, Dr. McGovern. And Dr. McGovern, you were a practicing infectious disease doctor in the past. Can you review the current therapies that are used today for our audience? Absolutely. Um, In primary C. diff, the antibiotics vancomycin and fidexomycin are used as first-line therapies, but unfortunately, one of every four patients has a recurrence. The majority of these recurrences develop quickly within one to three weeks of antibiotic completion, considered the window of vulnerability. Risk factors for recurrence include older age and female gender. Treatment options for multiply recurrent infection are even more limited with recycling the same drugs such as vancomycin for longer periods of time, which drives up costs with marginal benefit. The monoclonal antibody against C. diff toxin, bezalotuximab, is used to prevent recurrence in those at high risk of recurrence. But in reality, its efficacy declines in those with recurrent disease than compared to those with primary disease. The bottom line is we don't need a better antibiotic or a better monoclonal. We need a drug that addresses the underlying pathogenesis of disease. 
Exactly. And Dr. McGovern, can you explain to our global listeners the pathogenesis of a C. difficile infection and how that informed your drug development strategy? Of course. The pathogenesis of C. diff infection is a two-hit process requiring disruption of the gut microbiome followed by exposure to the spores of C. diff. The first hit is recent exposure to broad-spectrum antibiotics for infections such as pneumonia, for example. The antibiotics kill those harmful bacteria, but they also kill the good bacteria that normally live in the healthy gut microbiome. And it's loss of these beneficial bacteria, which play a dominant role in host defense, leaving the patient vulnerable to pathogens like C. diff. The second hit is exposure to the spores of C. diff. In the environment of the disrupted microbiome, these spores germinate into toxin-producing bacteria that lead to severe diarrhea. And once you understand the pathogenesis of CDI, you begin to understand why the current standard of care leads to so many clinical failures. Since the discovery of C. diff in 1978 and the use of vancomycin, there have been only modest improvements in overall treatment efficacy with the approval of fedaxomycin and bezlotuximab, which have the same therapeutic goal of toxin reduction. Once those toxin concentrations decline, patients do feel better, but in a substantial proportion of patients, symptom resolution is only transient. Sustained clinical response rates of 70% or even lower in those with recurrent disease remain the glass ceiling of drug efficacy in 2020. These types of response rates would be unacceptable for most infections, yet we come to accept recurrence of C. diff as something inevitable. We need to understand that C. diff is recurrent because none of our treatments address the disrupted microbiome, which facilitates C. diff spore germination. In fact, it can be argued that infection does not recur. It's rather that the symptoms recur because C. diff spores were never eradicated in the first place. C. diff in effect, is the canary in the mind signaling that the patient has microbiome disruption in need of repair. Over the past several years, fecal transplant has been used as a crude method to repair the microbiome. As a proof of concept, we have seen that the transfer of minimally processed stool from a screened healthy donor to a patient with recurrent C. diff can often lead to a sustained clinical response. Notably, a durable response is associated with a gain of firmicute bacteria, which play a central role in gastrointestinal health and are found in high abundance in the healthy gut microbiome. And with that, Dr. Dr. McGovern, how effective is an FMT in the treatment of a recurrent CDI? So the problem is is that the estimates of FMT efficacy range widely depending on the study. Some of the highest rates reported are with colonoscopy delivery, which adds risk to the patient with active colitis and inflammation. The lowest efficacy rates are associated with fecal enemas, which might be due to the inefficient delivery of FMT to far, uh, far places in the colon. 
the wide range of efficacy estimates may be due also to the quality of the evidence and the quality of the trial. Unfortunately, there are few high-quality placebo-controlled trials of FMT published to date, and as a result, the IDSA guidelines that recommended FMT did so only based on moderate quality evidence. Right. And Dr. McGovern, what are some of the limitations of the evidence supporting FMT efficacy? So some of this has to do with selection of patients. Um, To explain it further, I need to give your listeners some background on how CDIS is diagnosed. There are two categories of diagnostic assays, which include testing for toxin production, which is the hallmark of disease, and PCR testing for CDIS itself whether or not it makes toxin. Why is that important? Toxin production correlates with active infection. In contrast, PCR cannot differentiate between simple colonization versus active disease, leading to overdiagnosis. Now, in clinical practice, your physician might decide uh, that uh, PCR testing is fine because they're using other kinds of information that helps them decide if you have C. diff. But in order to accurately assess the efficacy of an experimental intervention in a treatment trial, you must have certainty that all your study subjects have the disease in question. I emphasize this point because if you don't have certainty around that basic premise, your trial is flawed. Yet no published placebo-controlled trial of FMT to date has required toxin testing, which can lead to unclear estimates of true efficacy. Exactly, Dr. McGovern. And there have been several FMT safety reports issued from this FDA over the past year. Can you review those alerts with us? Sure. Um, Less than a year ago, we saw a major report in the New England Journal of Medicine about transmission of drug-resistant bacteria from FMT, which led to multiple hospitalizations and the death of one patient. Fortunately, the link between these serious events and contaminated FMT was recognized quickly because this was done during the monitoring of a clinical trial. However, another FDA safety alert was issued in March highlighting four hospitalizations and one death related to bacterial infection transmitted from contaminated FMT from a single donor. Of note, this contamination was the result of inappropriate donor screening by a large stool bank and was not recognized in a timely manner. Since the vast use of FMT occurs outside clinical trials, we need to consider whether these transmissions are just the tip of the iceberg. Finally, the FDA issued another alert regarding their concerns about potential transmission of the etiologic agent of COVID-19. The FDA is concerned because SARS-CoV-2 is excreted in stool long after respiratory shedding has resolved, which highlights the limitations of donor screening alone. Using the universe of microbes in FMT brings unintended consequences. We clearly need a safer, more focused approach to microbiome repair. So to summarize, CDI is a toxin-mediated disease which requires two hits, disruption of the microbiome and exposure to the C. diff spores. Patients suffer recurrences because current treatments do not restore the, the microbiome, which, and that facilitates a vicious cycle of recurrence. 
FMT provides proof of concept supporting the need for microbiome uh, recovery to achieve durable responses. However, the estimates of FMT efficacy are unclear, and these safety alerts from the FDA highlight the vulnerability of FMT to undetected or emerging infections like COVID-19. We clearly need a safer, more efficacious approach to approaching recurrent CDI. Exactly. Thank you so much, Dr. McGovern, for sharing all of this important information with us. And at this time, we're going to pause for our first commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the top-line data on SCR 109, efficacy and safety from the Ecospore 3 trial with our guest, Dr. Elaine Wang, Senior Clinical Director. Please stay tuned. We will be right back after these messages. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Join us on Saturday, November 14th at 8 a.m. Eastern Time for the 8th Annual International C. diff Virtual Conference and Health Expo. For details and to register, please visit cdiff2020.com. Again, that's cdiff2020.com. Or contact the C. diff Foundation at 727-205-3922. We look forward to meeting you online on November 14th and meeting you in person in November 2021 in Boston, Massachusetts at the Hilton Boston Logan Airport Hotel. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and thanks so much for joining us today. We are going to continue discussing the top-line data on SCR 109, efficacy and safety from the Ecospore 3 trial with our special guest, Dr. Elaine Wang, Senior Clinical Director. Welcome to the program, Dr. Wang. Thanks so much. You're welcome. And Dr. Wing, we understand that SCR109 is a live microbiome drug. Can you tell us more about SCR109 and what differentiates it from other treatments for recurrent CDI? Sure, Nancy. And and let me just thank you once more um, for for inviting us to speak. SCR109 is an investigational oral microbiome treatment designed to break the cycle of recurrent C. diff infection. SER 109 is an ecology of firmacute spores, 
which germinate into bacteria that prevent the germination and growth of C. diff spores. A key advantage of using spores is that they are resistant to gastric acid, enabling Ceres to formulate them into capsules for oral delivery. As you heard from Dr. McGovern, the pathogenesis of C. diff infection is a two-hit process involving microbiome disruption followed by the germination of pathogenic C. diff spores. These toxin-producing bacteria can then flourish and cause disease. Antibiotics are effective at killing C. diff bacteria, leading to symptom resolution as stool toxin concentrations decline. However, antibiotics have no effect on the dormant C. diff spores, which serve as a reservoir that feeds this vicious cycle of recurrent infection. Thus, antibiotics are necessary but insufficient to treat this condition. This two-hit process requires a two-pronged treatment approach. The treatment approach consists of targeted antibiotics to kill the toxin-producing C. diff bacteria, followed by a microbiome treatment to correct the microbiome disruption to achieve a sustained clinical response. Thank you so much, Dr. Wang. And Dr. Wang, can you tell us how the ECOSPORE 3 trial was designed? Sure. Our Phase 3 study, ECOSPORE 3, enrolled patients with multiply recurrent disease using the strict criteria of toxin testing. Our study subjects had been treated with either vancomycin or fidaxomycin for 10 to 21 days, according to the investigator's discretion. Subjects with symptom resolution were then randomly assigned one-to-one to either receive SER109 or matching placebo, administered orally daily for three days. Subjects were stratified by age, 18 to 64 years old, or 65 years and over, and by antibiotic they received for the C. diff infection. The primary endpoint was a proportion of subjects who had CDI recurrence by eight weeks after dosing. Recurrence was determined by the return of diarrhea. The need to reinitiate CDI antibiotics is determined by the investigator and confirmation of the clinical diagnosis was a positive toxin test. The medical literature indicates that nearly all recurrent CDI cases happen within this eight-week time frame, but over half occur rapidly within just a few weeks after antibiotic discontinuation. This is the window of vulnerability because C. diff-targeted antibiotics either maintain or exacerbate the dysfunctional microbiome, which supports spore germination and recurrent disease. 67 sites in the U.S. and Canada participated in the trial, and 182 subjects were enrolled. Important features of our trial design differentiate it from other studies. First, we included only subjects with acute uh, onset of C. diff infection. These are the uh, folks who are at the highest risk of recurrence within weeks of antibiotic discontinuation. Inclusion of patients with a distant history of C. diff infection as seen in other studies can artificially inflate the efficacy of a therapeutic intervention. Second, we excluded subjects who were on long-term suppressive antibiotics, which again can artificially inflate drug efficacy. Third, we conducted a blinded study by using a matching placebo so that 
patients and their caregivers, and we did not know which product uh, they were receiving. This is critical to understanding efficacy. Fourth, we are the first trial in a decade to require toxin testing at enrollment and at the time of suspected recurrence. Toxin testing ensures enrollment of subjects with active C. diff and accuracy of the primary endpoint of the study. Finally, our primary endpoint looked at recurrence at eight weeks, since the vast majority of recurrences occur within this window period. However, we will be getting data to look at recurrences out to 12 and 24 weeks as well. Compare that to the follow-up period of most antibiotic trials, which have only followed patients out for four weeks, likely underestimating the rates of, of recurrences. The patients who enrolled reflected the recurrent CDI population. 55.6% were 65 years or over, 68.9% were female, and 72% were treated with vancomycin for their uh, infection. 56.7% were on their second recurrence, and the remainder had three or more recurrences. This underscores the unmet need of this patient population. CDI recurrence was determined by the return of diarrhea. The need to reinitiate CDI antibiotics is determined by the investigator. And confirmation of the clinical diagnosis was a positive toxin test. Thank you so much, Dr. Wang, for um, sharing and reviewing the, um, the design of the, of the trial. We appreciate that. And Dr. Wang, I hope you can now share with our global listeners the top-line results of the Ecospore 3 trial that we are eagerly awaiting. Yes, I am very pleased to report that this Phase 3 study clearly met the primary endpoint with a highly significant reduction in C. diff recurrence rates. We observed 41.3% of patients who received placebo recurred whereas only 11.1% of patients in the SER109 group recurred by eight weeks. This was a highly significant result, with a p-value less than 0.001. The results indicate a dramatic and clinically meaningful reduction of recurrence rates by a difference of more than 30%. The relative risk of recurrence for SER109 compared with placebo was 0.27, reflecting the substantial benefit to patients. Another way to view the results is to examine the sustained clinical response rate, which is the percentage of patients who remain free of CDI at eight weeks. Using this metric, SER109 treatment led to a sustained clinical response in 88.9% versus only 58.7% in placebo subjects. Importantly, our efficacy results also far exceeded the criteria determined by the FDA for efficacy based upon a single pivotal study. In addition, the results across the age and antibiotic strata were similar to the overall top-line study results. We plan to present additional analyses at future clinical conferences and in several clinical and scientific publications. Dr. Wayne, thank you so much for the clear summary of the efficacy data. And can you now tell us what you learned about the SCR109 safety profile? I am also happy to report that SCR109 was very well tolerated. 
Based on our data through week 8, SER109 was associated with an adverse event profile similar to that of placebo. Patients administered SER109 had no treatment-related serious adverse events. The most commonly observed treatment-related adverse events occurred in the GI system, the majority of which were mild to moderate in nature, and included flatulence, abdominal distension, and abdominal pain. These adverse events were observed in a similar proportion of patients in the placebo arm. Our safety profile has two important components related to the nature of our drug product and the way SCR109 is manufactured. First, our drug product of Firmicute spores has been well tolerated in all series clinical trials to date, which might be expected since Firmicute bacteria are highly abundant in the healthy gut microbiome. We focus on delivering only the essential components key to efficacy, the Firmicute spores. Second, our manufacturing process leads to a purified spore-based product, which represents less than 1% of whole stool, thus reducing the risk of transmission of infectious, uh, infectious agents. You will hear more about our manufacturing process from Dr. Onans. With the strength of our Phase three results in hand, we intend to meet with the FDA later this year to review our data discuss the path forward to a BLA submission, as well as any potential additional requirements. In the meantime, we anticipate adding many additional subjects in an open-label study, study series 013, and we will include the data from these subjects in the safety data portion to the FDA. We will hear more about the open-label study and how you can participate from Kelly Brady. In summary, SER109 is designed to deliver only the essential components needed for efficacy while mitigating risk to patients. Ecospore 3 was performed in the hardest-to-treat patient population with multiply recurrent C. diff infection, accurately defined by toxin testing, and using the highest quality of study design, the randomized clinical trial. We believe the high sustained response rates speak not only to the efficacy of the drug, but also reinforces the critical role of the microbiome restoration and durable clinical recovery. In the study, SER109 demonstrated substantial efficacy while offering a safety profile comparable to placebo with convenient oral dosing. Based on these data, we believe SER109 has the potential to fundamentally transform the treatment of recurrent C. diff infection. Thank you so much, Dr. Wang. We appreciate all the information you shared. And at this time, we are going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the top-line data on SCR109, efficacy and safety, from the Ecospore 3 trial with our guest, Dr. John Onins, Executive Vice President of Bioprocess and Marketing, and Jennifer Wartman, Vice President, Clinical Discovery and Research Technologies. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Join us on Saturday, November 14th at 8 a.m. Eastern Time for the 8th Annual International C. diff Virtual Conference and Health Expo. For details and to register, please visit cdiff2020.com. Again, that's cdiff2020.com. 
or contact the CDIP Foundation at 727-205-3922. We look forward to meeting you online on November 14th and meeting you in person in November 2021 in Boston, Massachusetts at the Hilton Boston Logan Airport Hotel. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate, or call toll free 1 844 4CDIF. That's 1 844 367 2343. Join us in our fight against CDIF and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for CDIF infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising CDIF awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us today. At this time, we are going to continue our discussion on the top-line data on SCR 109, Efficacy and Safety, from the Ecospore 3 trial with our guests, Dr. John Onins, Executive Vice President of Bioprocess and Manufacturing, and Jennifer Wartman, Vice President, Clinical Discovery, and research technologies and right now we are going to welcome john dr john onans to the program welcome to seed of spores and more dr onans thank you nancy you're welcome and dr onans can you explain how ser 109 is manufactured and how you screen your stool donors for our listeners sure enough so SIR-109 uh, is a novel product, and we hope it will be the first highly purified and biologically derived microbiome therapeutic using bacteria that are native to the gut. Now, because these bacteria are adapted to coexist with us, we only need to supply a very small seeding for treatment, and then the human gut acts as a bioreactor for the growth of our bacteria. So as a consequence, our manufacturing scale of operations aren't large, and Furthermore, the numbers of donors needed for drug supply is quite modest, reducing risk uh, to supplying a population. As you've heard from Barbara and Elaine, seronanine is composed of bacterial spores, which is a form of bacteria that some bacteria go into to protect themselves from the environment. 
And among other things, spores are resistant to stomach acid, oxygen, and heat. And they're a convenient product that is stable at room temperature. So we take advantage of those features. Now, when we initiated development of SIR-109, one of the unknowns we had was how consistent composition of a natural spore product would be and how well it would perform clinically in patients and how consistently. And we've been diligent about exploring this, both clinically and analytically. And to date, we've used materials from multiple donors in the clinic, including this current trial, with no indication of a donor effect or a drug lot effect so far. So that's very encouraging. From the beginning, we were attentive to building safety into the CR-109 product and processes. And so uh, first off, we have a donor program which is comprehensive and custom-built from a ground-up analysis of the literature on infectious diseases and also on microbiome sciences to ensure that our screening procedures for donors are appropriate for the CIR-109 product. Uh, donors are extensively screened. This is done using health history questionnaires, physical examination, and appropriate laboratory testing to ensure clean starting material. And we manage the donors uh, and the screening intervals that we use to make sure that we have detection of even rapid and or transient diseases. But the donor screening is only the beginning of our patient safety uh, mitigation process. So during the manufacturing process, we've incorporated microbial inactivation and also clearance steps in the event that a pathogen was missed during donor screening. And those process steps have been shown to be effective against a range of non-spore bacteria, viruses, fungi, and parasites. And these data provide assurance to us that we're less susceptible than FNT products to unrecognized or emergent pathogens such as SARS-CoV-2. And we conduct our processing in controlled manufacturing environments that are custom-built to handle spores, uh, using extensive monitoring during the processing and decontamination before and after processing to make sure we avoid contamination of the drug product. And then lastly, we employ rigorous testing on the final product using custom assays to ensure that it meets our specifications for identity, potency, and purity, and especially microbiological purity and absence of uh, non-unwanted bacteria. So we believe that our process substantially reduces the risk of transmission of infectious agents, including non-spore bacteria, parasites, fungi, and viruses. And this is in part what contributed to the favorable safety profile seen in our study. And I'll just point out that these safeguards stand in stark contrast with minimally processed FMT. Exactly. And thank you so much, Dr. Onins. Thank you for joining us today on the program. And thank you for the informative information about your complex manufacturing procedures for SCR 109. And at this time, we'd like to welcome Jennifer Wartman, Vice President, Clinical Discovery and Research Technologies to the program. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks very much, Nancy. You're welcome. Um, right now, we're going to be moving into the microbiome science side of the story. And we would like to know, um, actually in the program, if you wouldn't mind taking a moment to educate us on the microbiome platform that has been developed at Ceres. Absolutely. Um, since Ceres' inception, we've been building research tools and the platforms required to characterize the microbiome as well as related biomarkers of health and disease. We use advanced methods of cultivation and fermentation of bacteria and novel screening tools and technologies to enable scientific insights into how microbes in the human gut interact with one another and with the host. 
We also are able to use clinical research data to design consortia of bacteria that produce specific metabolites that could potentially modify disease. You can think of these bacterial spores as the biologic machinery of microbes that germinate and grow in the gastrointestinal tract, a process we call engraftment. We look at CR109 engraftment by measuring drug-related species in stool samples before and after dosing with SER109 as compared to placebo. SCR109 is a first-in-class microbiome therapeutic designed to harness the functional power of Firmicute bacteria in order to restructure a susceptible microbiome. Our clinical and non-clinical data support that SCR109 contains the active bacteria that prevent C. difficile germination and vegetative growth. Furthermore, modulation of the microbiome to treat disease can be achieved with delivery of a consortia of the key active bacteria and does not require full-spectrum microbiota, such as an FMT, which actually may increase the risk of infection or have other undesirable pharmacologic properties. Thank you so much for that. And Jennifer Wortman, can you explain the pharmacology of SCR109 to our global listeners? Absolutely. Uh, The pharmacology of a drug is determined by its pharmacokinetics and its pharmacodynamics. Pharmacokinetics measures the movement of a drug inside the body. For a small molecule drug, we might see movement of the drug from the GI tract to the urine or the feces, for example. For SCR109, engraftment of the drug-related bacteria is a measure of SCR109 pharmacokinetics. Spores germinate and replicate in the gastrointestinal microbiome. Only after engraftment can these microbes function as living factories producing metabolites important to human health. Furthermore, these engrafting firmicute bacteria can then serve as a scaffold for even broader changes in the gut microbiome related to expansion of non-dose-related bacterial species. As the disrupted microbiome continues to diversify, it transitions towards a state of health. These broader changes in the composition and function of the microbiome are measures of SCR109 pharmacodynamics. As you know, the leading risk factor for CDI is treatment with broad-spectrum antibiotics, which disrupts the gut microbiome. With loss of key species, primary bile acids that stimulate C. difficile spore germination increase, while secondary bile acids that inhibit C. difficile vegetative growth decline. This is the favorable environment in which C. difficile spores germinate and replicate. SCR109 was designed to prevent C. diff recurrence by increasing the diversity of spore-forming firmicute bacteria that are severely depleted in subjects with CDI. SCR109 shifts the metabolic state in the gastrointestinal tract to prevent C. difficile spore germination and growth by changing bile acid concentrations to inhibit C. diff germination and growth. In the phase two CR109 trial, the engraftment of drug species was observed as early as one week post-treatment and was durable through eight weeks. Prior to treatment, the diversity of drug species was not different between subjects treated with placebo versus SCR109. But by one week after treatment, we saw significant increases in dose drug species in treated subjects as compared to placebo subjects. 
SER109 engraftment was detected early, with maximum engraftment achieved by four weeks post-treatment. These early changes in the microbiome are critical to preventing CDI recurrence, since more than half of the clinical recurrences occur during this early time frame. Notably, engraftment did not vary across drug lots. In addition to looking at engraftment, we also examined biochemical changes resulting from engraftment. SCR109 engraftment is associated with a metabolic shift that increases secondary bile acid concentrations in the gastrointestinal tract by one week post-treatment with SCR109. We observed a positive correlation with the number of engrafting species and the concentration of the secondary bile acids. We observed a near-complete conversion of primary bile acids to secondary bile acids, and we expect the effect of SCR109 on bile acid concentrations is sufficient to inhibit C. diff germination and growth through this mechanism. In the coming months, we are very excited to be obtaining the microbiome and metabolomic data from the SCR109 Phase three study. Through the analysis of these data, we expect to continue to deepen our understanding of the specific mechanisms of this investigational drug, and we expect this information to strengthen our drug discovery capabilities as we advance the clinical development of our current pipeline and explore new disease targets amenable to our microbiome platform. Thank you so much, Jennifer Wartman, for all of that information on the microbiome science side uh, at Ceres. And at this time, we are going to take a commercial break, pause for a commercial break. And when we return, we will continue our discussion on the top line data on SCR 109 efficacy and safety from the Ecospore 3 trial with our guest, Kelly Brady, Vice President of Clinical Operations. Please stay tuned. We'll be back after these messages. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. The C. diff Foundation offers global community support sessions. C. diff can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. Get answers to your questions. You're not alone. Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. To register for a session, call the C. diff Foundation at 919-201-1512 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org. 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to the program, and thanks so much for joining us today. At this time, we are going to continue our discussion with top-line data on SCR 109 efficacy and safety from the Ecospore 3 trial with our guest, Kelly Brady, Vice President of Clinical Operations. Welcome to the show, Kelly Brady. Thank you so much for having me, Nancy. You are very welcome. We're so glad... Yep, we're so glad you're here. And um, Kelly, if you wouldn't mind now, um, I'd like to ask you if you wouldn't mind telling us about the open label study that will be opening soon. Absolutely. I am very happy to announce that the Series 013 open label study has now been amended to include a new cohort for enrollment of all recurrent CDI patients at our active clinical sites. The open-label study plans to enroll up to 200 subjects, and these subjects will support the series safety database. An open-label trial means that everyone who qualifies for the trial and enrolls will receive the active investigational drug, and there is no placebo arm. As part of series application to the FDA to conduct an open-label trial, for patients with recurrent CDI, Ceres proposed to include a broader group of recurrent CDI patients, including those with a first recurrence. We are very pleased that the FDA accepted this expanded patient population. We are hopeful that enrollment in the open-label portion of the study going forward will accelerate given the strength of our Phase three data that Dr. Wang presented earlier in the podcast. The study inclusion criteria will be the same as described by Dr. Wang earlier, and CDI recurrence will be defined by the following criteria. A positive C. diff stool sample determined by a toxin assay in patients who have, re- who, in patients who have experienced one or more CDI recurrences in the past 12 months. Greater than or equal to three unformed bowel movements per day over two consecutive days. And finally, assessment by the treating physician that the patient's condition warrants antibiotic treatment. In addition, the open label amended series 013 cohort two will also include the following. Oral SEER 109 administration of four pills per day over a three-day period, the same as the Series 012 Ecospore 3 trial. The open-label amended Series 013 study will not have any placebo arms and will not require any electronic diaries. The study will also include clinic visits at screening and day one of the study, and stool collection will only be required at screening and suspected recurrence visits. 
The study will also include flexibility for home or clinic visits at week eight and recurrence or early termination visits. Patients will also have weekly telephone contacts for weeks one through seven with their treating physician and their nurse, as well as monthly telephone contacts for weeks 12 and 24, which will allow close contact and oversight by your treating doctor for your, um, for your condition. Currently, Ceres has approximately 50 sites across the U.S. and Canada who will be participating in the open-label study, and our team at Ceres is working hard to add an additional 40 sites across the country and Canada so that this open-label study opportunity may be available to more patients. CIR-109 has obtained breakthrough therapy, an orphan drug designation from the FDA, and we look forward to near-term meetings with FDA to discuss our exciting study results, as well as the requirements to submit a BLA. In light of the tremendous unmet need that Dr. McGovern outlined earlier, it is our sincere hope and aspiration to be able to offer an effective and safe new treatment option to these patients that can make a meaningful difference to their lives. At our upcoming Breakthrough Therapy Designation Meeting with FDA, we will discuss whether any additional safety data may be required in the context of the very favorable safety profile we have observed for SEER 109 in the Phase 3 study as well as the earlier SEER-109 clinical studies. In addition, there is a large unmet need since the largest FMT provider in the U.S. halted shipment of FMT several weeks ago. It is possible that the FDA may ask for additional numbers of patients exposed to SEER-109, given the previous advice we have received from FDA of needing to have treated approximately 300 patients with a specific dose to be marketed. We currently have a safety database with the SEER-109 Phase 3 dose of approximately 105 subjects. We anticipate that we will be able to add many additional subjects in the open-label portion of the study, and we will include data from these subjects in the safety data portion of the BLA for SEER 109. Next, I would like to speak about how you, you or patients can learn more about the Series 013 open label study. If you or a member of your family are interested in participating in the Series 013 open label study, or you would like more information on this study or series in general, please visit our series website at seriestherapeutics.com for more information. You may also contact the email clinicalstudies at seriestherapeutics.com to be connected with a member of our series team so that we may refer you to the nearest participating clinical trial center. Finally, on behalf of all of the staff at Series Therapeutics, I want to sincerely thank all of the investigators and patients who participated in this landmark trial thus far. 
which demonstrated that a microbiome therapeutic is a critical partner in the clinical management of patients with recurrent CDI. We could not have reached this important milestone for this trial without the dedication of our investigators and clinical research personnel. Most importantly, we are humbled by the hundreds of patients who have participated in our trials from the early days of the phase one studies until today. You put your trust in us and we are forever grateful. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Kelly Brady, for joining us today on C. diff spores and more and providing everyone with a wonderful update. And also, we at this time, we want to thank the members of the Series Therapeutics Organization, Dr. Barbara McGovern, Vice President of Medical Affairs, Dr. Elaine Wang, Senior Clinical Director, Dr. John Onans, Executive Vice President of Bioprocess and Manufacturing, Jennifer Wartman, Vice President, Clinical Discovery and Research Technologies, and Kelly Brady, Vice President of Clinical Operations. We are so grateful for all of you for joining us today on today's C. diff spores and more episode, and we thank you all, including all of your colleagues and everyone at Series Therapeutics. Uh, we thank you for your continued dedication in the health and wellness community, and especially in the C. diff community. And at this time, the members of the C. diff Foundation would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare. To learn more about their products, please visit their website, um, www.cloroxhealthcare.com. And we wish to acknowledge the organizations around the globe dedicated to improving health and their through research and developing new products to address C. difficile infection prevention treatments, protecting the gut microbiome, clinical trials, diagnostics, and environmental safety worldwide. To learn more about clinical trials focused on C. diff infections and recurrent C. diff infections, prevention and treatments, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website, www.cdifffoundation.org, and also the clinicaltrials.gov website. Please help them to help you to help others. To learn more about upcoming events that you will not want to miss out on, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website. We send out our get well wishes to all patients being treated for and recovering from a C. diff infection and the many wellness-draining illnesses being combated across the globe. I'm your host, Nancy Corrala, with our reminder, none of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We wish you good health, continued healing, and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. together.